0: Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Beverly Price, an entrepreneur with a passion for owning her own practice, serving the eating disorder community, and yoga. Again, please don't forget about my birthday book giveaway. I am still giving out four. I'm a registered dietitian. Now what books one for each week in my birth month? Because again, I really love to give away gifts on my birthday. Go to my website, and and register in the pop-up and make sure to listen to the last podcast of February because my announcement will come of who wins those prizes. I was starting to feel the sniffles coming on this weekend, and I immediately jumped on my Moku kombucha game. Pear ginger is my flavor of choice right now, mixed with sparkling water, and it has no vinegar taste at all, which I'm not a fan of, so it's perfect. It's refreshing, big on flavor, and I know I'm getting some good health benefits. I would love for you to try it, and I will actually put a sample pack with each of my book winners this month. You can also go to MokuHealth.com and enter the code ANN20, and that's ANN with an E, for 20% off your order. While attending FENCY last fall, I decided to participate in the Entrepreneur Spotlight during the Nutrition Entrepreneur's Dietetic Practice Group networking event. There were a plethora of fantastic RDs sharing their products and services, with a few catching my eye and Beverly being one of them. She was showcasing her private practice, specializing in eating disorders, but more specifically her mindfulness-based yoga therapy training in eating disorders. I did not get a ton of time to talk to her that evening, so I knew I had to have a podcast with her. Please enjoy my conversation with Beverly. Well, good. Well, good. Well, I am so glad that you are spending time with me this morning. I appreciate that very much. And I'm excited to learn more about you and kind of where you started and all the amazing things you're doing now. I kind of, I kind of, you know, Google do a little bit and I've been getting some of your emails. So I find all your, your things that you do professionally really awesome. So why don't you take me back to. When you were a little Beverly, and you were trying to kind of figure out what you wanted to do when you grew up.
1: Well, thank you, Anne. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on your program today. And I am very excited about it. And I will share with you, and hope that the audience is uh, get some some good information. So, if I travel back, I have wanted to be a dietitian since elementary school. And I always wanted to know the best thing to have people eat for many reasons. And then when I got into high school, I was on the swim team and wanted to understand how nutrition played a part in sports. So that was really my my first love. And when I got to college, I majored in dietetics from the get-go, and I realized there were so many different facets of the field. And when I finished my internship, I actually wanted to go into management in dietetics. And as I went through my first position, I was back in clinical, which then I loved as well, and it was more so cardiology. So it was away from my home a few hours away from my home so I relocated and then I eventually came back when there was a job opening back in the Detroit area where I'm from and I worked in a cardiac fitness center and I made probably some of my best friends in my lifetime and it was a great job and then I ended up opening up a private practice actually my boss at the time really encouraged us to better ourselves, move on. And that's what I did. And I started off working in different doctor's offices. And I really just saw a variety of patients. And then I eventually went out on my own because I had a great physician who said, I'm going to stop referring to you until you get your own office. It's time. And oh my he made that more, more lovingly. <laughs> And I did that and I grew the business. This was, I want to say, around 1994 and just after I had my daughter. And I worked in my own private practice in my own office and I hired people as we grew, a staff. And then I eventually sold the business. I was ready at the time. My daughter was starting School And our district was a very hands-on school district in elementary school. So I sold my business to a great woman, perfect person. Uh, She owns Integrated Nutrition, and that's in Farmington Hills, Michigan. My business was called Living Better Sensibly. So she was established. She had the name of her business. She took on my clients and did very well, still practicing, has her heart in it. And I did some consulting for a while and I got into yoga and I realized that something was missing from my work in my private practice. And towards the end of my practice, I was seeing many clients with eating disorders and I really was at a loss for how to help them, even though myself struggled with with food and body image issues growing up. So it doesn't mean because you've struggled, it doesn't mean that you're equipped to help people either. So I took some local courses and I got some more training and my yoga really solidified everything for me. So I ended up going back into practice and started out in a one room schoolhouse, through the practice pretty quickly again and incorporated the yoga in terms of groups, uh, we did some yoga and then discussion groups and they were mainly people that had eating issues. So eventually the business grew organically where I developed intensives, then an intensive outpatient program, then a partial hospitalization program and had staff, had about a staff of 25 people and grew the business. And I wanted to take it to another level. And this was now, we're talking about 2014, 15. And 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 we had insurance contracts. We also did out-of-network, so we had a great balance of both. And I had somebody purchase my business. And although they had told me the vision was the same as mine, it didn't really work out that way. So I left the business shortly after acquisition in 2016 and unfortunately this business that I sold and the, the new business closed on Friday. So that is my roundabout story. Oh, wow. here. <laughs> yeah. Um, very heartbreaking. Um, you know, I kind of pinch myself to see did this happen to my baby? And uh, no. it is a shame because I think that, um, You have to have guidance with with somebody that's actually worked in this kind of business. And um you know, I I guess everybody makes choices and they bought the business and that was their decision in terms of who was the leadership. So
0: sure. That is still hard though to see something that you worked so hard on and then now it's gone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very much so. This is very recent. So it's interesting how our podcast got postponed because now we're new information.
0: We're having a different conversation.
1: Exactly. Well,
0: and and I think it's interesting how you said way back earlier, though, that you felt that you wanted to be a dietitian when you were in grade school. Like, that's really young to even know what a dietitian is.
1: Well, I don't think I actually knew what it was. I, I knew I wanted to work with nutrition and I had this vision of myself in an office and seeing patients and uh, I don't I think I read a book. I want to say I read a book about a nutrition counselor in an office. And as I developed this interest, I talked to my father about it. And I think my father had put together actually what I wanted to do and knew of dietitians. So he really connected me with a lot of different um, women that were practicing in the field in different areas of the field. And I got to shadow them. So he was very instrumental in really figuring out what I wanted to do and connecting me in the right places.
0: Uh, And where did you go to school for dietetic?
1: I went to Michigan state university and I did my master's degree in exercise physiology, which kind of went together. I did that at Wayne state university uh, in Detroit, and then I did my dietetic internship. Well, before my master's degree, I did my dietetic internship at Harper Hospital, Detroit Medical Center.
0: So you got exposed to a lot of interesting, just a, a variety of different types of dietetics.
1: I have to say, yes, because, and I think for anybody going into the field and maybe they have a mindset of, I want to do this, I think it's really important to be open because, as do get different experiences, you see what you want, you see what you don't want, and you can actually apply some of the things that maybe you didn't think were relevant and and they really are relevant to what you might be doing in the future.
0: Sure. And that's a a very good point because you think you know, but you don't know.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And as you get older and as you go through different life stages, your interests change, your needs change. Once you, let's say you get married, let's say you have kids, let's say now your kids are out of the house, you have different needs, you have different interests, and also your lifestyle changes in terms of what you need, to, what you're responsible for or what you're not responsible for. So, sure.
0: Again,
1: sure. Well,
0: well, and also, too, like you're, you mentioned, you know, when you were, you thought you wanted to go into management. And that's completely different than clinical, which is, or, you know, um, outpatient, which is kind of what you ended up in. Right. And that's probably more of like you said, you had your daughter and that kind of changed how you were going to practice at that point.
1: Right. That was, that was a big deal. And also, I think the combination and going back and forth in terms of do I want management? Do I want clinical? Running your own business gives you that management because you're you're in for a lot of different aspects that maybe you didn't realize HR administration bookkeeping and and where I was and being ready to sell my eating disorder clinic I I was not loving doing HR I was not loving doing bookkeeping I was not loving a lot of the Day to day, something breaks, the computer goes down. And there's always something, the building has a problem. And, <laughs> and I don't think people realize that. And as an owner, you take all the risk. So, uh, and, you know, people choose whether to be productive or not. You know, maybe they get anxious when the census goes up, when you really want the census. To <laughs> go, and, 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 and all the but uh, I think that's also what drove me to seek a buyer because I wanted to put that on somebody else so I could do what I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So how, I know this, when we, when I think about entrepreneurs, you know, I always feel like a lot of people are very intimidated by the point they are in their career, if they're ready to be an entrepreneur or not. So it kind of sounds like you actually started your first business very early in your dietetic career.
1: I did, because even working uh, when I worked in the cardiology at Sinai Hospital of Detroit, that's now part of Detroit Medical Center, I it, it started out as a part-time job. And I was picking up the other part-time down where I trained in my internship. And it really, um, I started doing private consulting on the side because different physicians in the hospital Uh, knew who I was. They were referring patients internally and they would approach me in the hall and say, Hey, you know, maybe you want to do this on the side, and I cleared it with my boss and yes, that was fine. And and eventually, as I said, my, my boss really encouraged me. And 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 I actually kept the hospital as part of my consulting too because at first I went to different offices every day. So I was able to have the best of both worlds too. Sure.
0: Sure. How scary was it for you to... I mean, you probably felt pretty comfortable, though, since you had that relationship with different physicians.
1: Yes. And I think that was really important starting out from a referral standpoint and just from a trust standpoint. And really, at the time, they were not much older than I was. And, you know, they seemed so so much older, powerful, <laughs> that really we were growing together in our careers. And... I look at now and uh, I'm still not quite ready to retire and not at that age, but some of them are are getting ready to do that and slowing down in their practices. And I think even with the eating disorder clinic, there's still so many people in my community that think I'm still in my private practice. So it's it's an interesting perception.
0: Sure. So you've kind of always felt like you've had a connection to eating disorders, even early in your career?
1: I would say so. And maybe I didn't realize it initially, but I think that that was a big, a big part of it. And it just sort of brought me back, back home in a sense.
0: And that, and I think that I feel like as dietitians, I feel like you're drawn to that type of practice because that's not an easy practice to be working in.
1: Not at all. And I think also across the spectrum and as you get into the spectrum of binge eating and disordered eating, you're getting a little bit more high functioning, and it's a whole different ball game. and I think that's where I really started out. and then it kind of went more towards the more severe. And a lot of what we were doing too was co-occurring substance use disorder, so that even adds to the mix as well. Um, we were licensed by the state of Michigan in terms of substance use disorder in Michigan at one time there was a partial license for just partial nothing specific with eating disorders but then uh, the state deregulated so only hospitals had to be licensed as a partial this is just a few years ago and it um, although we followed what the licensure entailed anyway but that really wasn't a factor anymore, but yet we still have our substance use license. And that was important for contracting with insurances, whether we chose to contract with certain insurances or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, so I kind of feel like that's a whole nother animal is the coverage and the insurance. And cause I know here in Iowa, we, there's like no coverage for any type of um, basically for eating disorders at all. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So how is it different you know, for you and your state?
1: Uh, it really depends on the insurance because certain insurances are licensed by region and by state. And some are, of course, more friendly than others. And some have more stipulations. And we were a small clinic, so we really couldn't afford to have a psychiatrist right on site, day in, day out. And some insurances require that. And some are a little lenient because our insurance, our Psychiatrist was just right across the street. Oh. He wasn't, for example, in another state or something sure, sure, like that. Um he was right across the street. He was involved in the care. He'd be here at meetings, he would see patients, and it was a little bit different. And some of the insurances we we chose not to contract because the rates were not that great. But I think even as we evolved as a clinic and a lot of my early staff we'll say that as we started getting regulated, for example, we got our joint commission accreditation twice. Oh, wow. And yeah, as we went through the regulations, it it really changed uh, the vision and the ultimate goals of the company and not even realizing that. And I think when we operated more on a cash basis at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and we were able to, really flesh out what we wanted to and maybe mainly the yoga therapy with the eating disorder treatment and a little more holistic and as we got more regulated from the insurance predation licensure um we were more restricted in what we could do and I, from, from just the other, I think
0: sure and I guess like as a dietetic like practitioner how, how does someone learn all of that you know like is it just by you just kind of are living in the, mo- in the moment and you're just kind of figuring it out as you go? Or how did you learn how to approach insurance companies and create contracts and figure out who pays well? And I mean, that's a huge task.
1: It is. And I, I've always been interested in reimbursement because back in the nutrition days, we're actually dietitians themselves in Michigan are not, li- not licensed. We're only, we're one of the few states that are not licensed. So back in my private practice days, I couldn't contract with any insurance. We weren't written into the insurance code and my business was a cash business, which actually worked out great. Um, I worked a lot of hours and I really hustled. And like I said, I was able to hire other staff as we grew. So I was used to operating on a cash basis and different in, but yet I, I knew a lot about reimbursement just from working with the state, working with the local dietetic association. I was the mission reimbursement chair for a while wow. too. So I did learn a lot about that. And when I transitioned into the next business, these services as we grew were very expensive. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think even from a therapy standpoint, therapists were licensed and they, We're taking insurance. So the type of business we were setting up really lent itself to insurance. But I think with any business like that, you have to have a good balance of cash and insurance. And when I I was in my younger career, not that much younger, but I I did workshops for dietitians and starting a private practice. And I would present cash or insurance, what's what's best, and a a great mixture. So I I really had to learn, but yet a lot of the insurance companies. We were really one of the first eating disorder full on clinics in in the Detroit area, in Michigan, actually, even before some hospitals. And we really had to educate the insurance companies on what we did, because I think that they looked at us like a big weight loss clinic or something. And we really educate. Right. So we negotiated rates and and. Uh, those providers, uh, representatives that knew more about eating disorders realized it was more intense to treat than a simple mood and anxiety program, so they were willing to work with us. Uh, some insurances were lower, and some, you know, we just said, Well, we'll go on a network. And there was always a different, if you're on a network, oftentimes. There's different processing arms that are out of network and you can still get reimbursement that way. And so we learned little tricks of the trade and even you have to get authorization in many cases. So we learn how to work with that aspect in getting days for our patients, advocating for our patients and making sure that they went through the appeal process that they were entitled to as well
0: to get that coverage. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, that's it takes a lot of your time. No wonder you needed staff to help you.
1: Right. We actually used an outside company to do our authorizations for care. They were wonderful. They they got us days. They knew what they were doing. So, I think it's important to utilize your resources and really follow guidance. Follow somebody and surround yourself with somebody who knows More than you. And that way you learn versus just winging it because you, you just want to try something different, which is fine. You need to put the things out there to see what works, what doesn't work. But I think it's important to get that guidance from the outside too.
0: Sure. Did you have someone do your billing too or in your coding or did you do that yourself?
1: We both, (laughs) We, we, we worked in house with the biller. We farmed it out, we brought it back in, and we found it was best when we had a biller on site because there was so much going on with the program and the plans required a lot of babysitting and everyone had a different story in terms of what codes you used to bill. So that way we could really stay on top of it. And I think looking back to we had an outpatient arm with it and we got into so many different plans that. I, I think what I would have done differently was really streamline the plans on the outpatient side. And and what was nice about having outpatient when it was maybe slower on the intensive side, we utilize the outpatient or vice versa. So it was a great mix. And I think you have to diversify in these types of businesses.
0: Sure, sure. And that's a good point because you're not going to always have a perfect income stream from one one area, it's good to kind of have different legs to your business.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think it's very important to, to look at diversity just with, with anything you might invest in as well.
0: Sure. So I'd like I I love that you got you personally got into yoga, correct? That's kind of how you started that journey.
1: Yes. And I actually got into yoga a long time ago with a teacher who brought yoga to Michigan. And I really, um we 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 were friends, and we we really built our businesses together in some ways. And I really got out of yoga when I I had my daughter and I was busy. And I had a a friend who was very into yoga came into town and said, "We're going, we're going. You're getting back into <laughs> yoga." And that was when I sold my first practice, and it, it was such a good thing that she use coercion to get me to go because that really paved the way for a lot of new uh, ventures to happen. And I went into yoga teacher training and eventually became a yoga therapist through a, a program that the International Association of Yoga Therapists had for experienced yoga teachers. And that's how I also got into training other eating disorder practitioners in yoga for eating disorders and which I really can focus on now because that's a a love of mine.
0: So that's strictly so ultimately you are out of kind of the diet, you're kind of working with other just other professionals and doing these trainings for dietitians or health professionals.
1: Right. Right. And I think that's really right now where my career is going, more towards the professional side and working in, in that realm. But yet I've also been successful in terms of placing clients with eating disorders in, in treatment facilities, just kind of, you know, for, just as a favor over the years and realize that people do do this as a business and I'm able to get people to the top of the list, work with them in their continuation of care. And where I'm going at this point this year is to. Make it value as a value uh, service so individuals can get into treatment, learn how to advocate for themselves and understand that continuum of care. Because you'd be surprised how many people, at least in my area, don't understand treatment or the admission process or what their child or what they might need uh, at at a different level of care, not just outpatient.
0: That's kind of true, though. It's kind of good to be an advocate for, because it is a hard, I think it's hard on families, and it's hard on the patient, and it's hard on everybody. And everybody just wants to find help, but they don't really know what to expect.
1: Or they don't even know what's out there. Uh, true. They don't really know that their child might need a residential level of care or a partial level of care when they're wondering why an outpatient, nothing's working at that time. Mm-hmm.
0: And I didn't realize there's so many different outlets for, you know, I guess, and maybe I just, I'm not a person who's well versed in the different levels of care. So maybe talk to me about that, because I don't know a lot about the different levels of care.
1: Oh, well, sure. Well, there's outpatient care, and that's maybe once a week, twice a week therapy. And as you're getting more so now you need three times a week therapy, that patient really needs The next level of care, perhaps, which is an intensive outpatient program, and in that type of programming, they may come to a center for three to four hours a day, at least three days a week, sometimes five. And they have group therapy, they have individual therapy, they have monitored meals and snacks, and they have medication management as well. And at that next level, if they are let's say suicidal, or let's say their thoughts are even more intense than they're going to be at this partial hospitalization level. And that's a full day program. And state of Michigan and insurance companies and accreditation require at least six to seven hours of programming a day in Michigan. And therefore, you're getting the patient to perhaps interrupt their thoughts because they're they're learning to break that cycle at that longer day of care. And then as you progress up, maybe their purging is more more so than than at a partial level. Maybe their suicidality is more intense. Maybe their medications need even more management. They're at a residential level of care. And then at a real urgent level of care, uh where their their medical psychological is very much at risk. It's more of an inpatient, such as a hospital and more so for stabilization. Or if we're working with somebody with substance use, they're going to go to detox in a hospital. But the American Psychiatric Association has a level of care guidance for eating disorder treatment. And really to follow that is the best practice standards, evidence-based care in our industry. Now, not all insurance companies follow that. But if you're following that, that makes a really good argument and a really good appeal and advocacy for a patient. If you're following those guidelines from the American Psychiatric Association,
0: gotcha. Okay, interesting. See, this is I learned so much from these two. Yeah, it's complicated.
1: <laughs> and in our specific uh, industry, we have a, a great attorney in our consortium that is really helpful, Lisa Cantor, and she has a staff, and they really fought for patients from a legal side. And patients are entitled to that. Patients are entitled to have that that voice and, and the try at, at that point. That's very,
0: That's very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. And so I I, think, so okay. I, I will... I would be interested to know how just kind of more about how you incorporated yoga in your practice and how you saw that work with your patients and how you see that kind of changing more for our profession of of onboarding that in our.
1: Oh, sure. And yoga, really, I think um, initially people looked at it as just exercise and insurance companies looked at it that way. Uh, other staff other practitioners looked at it that way but really there's a therapeutic component to it and there's a lot of research now on eating disorders and yoga therapy on mental health and yoga therapy evidence-based peer-reviewed literature that really backs some of the work in terms of the physiological changes the psychological changes and even just from a quality of life. And we did a lot of outcome studies in my former practice. And that was really important to to show how the program was working. So we incorporated at the time yoga every day. So an hour of yoga every day. And it was a small group we could individualize. They also got individual yoga therapy as well on a weekly basis. And they were able to really utilize The breath, which is one of the most important aspects of yoga, not so much the physical practice, but they were able to use some of the concepts and even some of the philosophy that we incorporated into the program. And it made it unique. It made it theme based and it made it very successful that way because the theme would carry into all of our groups, all these individual sessions. And that way it became a comprehensive program. And and differentiated, set it aside from other programs.
0: That's really neat, and that's neat that you actually were doing studies in your practice to to prove that it's working and it's a viable thing to add to your practice.
1: Right, and, and not everybody responds to talk therapy, and oftentimes when you get to the somatic, when you get to body centered therapy, it really elicits some different responses and and. More of a transformation. And, and even, for example, DBT is very congruent with yoga. Act acceptance commitment therapy is very congruent with yoga. And it's where you're learning to observe in these theoretical orientations in DBT in act. You're learning more to observe versus react, which is really what yoga is about.
0: Hmm. And, and you saw much better outcomes with your, with your client.
1: We we did, and even from our studies, and even just, we always used to say our patients left nicer, kinder, <laughs> um, but, but and more so, more so than that, and they were able to really self regulate, which is an important component of yoga, and also combined with DBT and ACT, and and I think it's really important that we had our staff was trained regularly. We did a lot of staff development, and we had uh, always had somebody that was really. As a practice grew proficient in DBT, that could teach us and really implement those concepts, which is really where the eating disorder profession in treatment is going to more of a DBT. That's,
0: and that's something I didn't know either. It's amazing how it's evolving because I think more people are aware that there are so many individuals living with this, just with a type of this disorder.
1: Right. And and I think sometimes people aren't even aware and and the awareness is the first step to moving forward of what is really going on.
0: Sure. Did you I mean, like when you would have when you would have people come in or people that would call to ask for your services, do you do like an initial consultation that just to kind of get to know the person and again, maybe find out more about them because they're not aware of the situation?
1: Yes, yeah, so well, we had a first-line screening on the phone. And if somebody was suicidal, homicidal, and exhibited certain behaviors, we were going to refer them to the ER or, or another level of care. And if we felt they were appropriate from a phone screening, we would bring them in for an initial assessment. And and this is, again, part of the regulations, psychological assessment, uh, psychiatric assessment, medical assessment, nutrition assessment, and... Therefore, we could put all the pieces together as a treatment team and take a look at who was appropriate to admit, who was appropriate, maybe more so for outpatient, more for a higher level of care. And that was helpful in terms of deciding who's going to be the best fit in our in our program.
0: Did you have different types of um, I'm assuming that you had mostly dietitians that you employed?
1: Not really, probably the least. We, we probably and it is unfortunate, and not so much unfortunate. It, it's really, it, it's not really about food in terms of eating disorder. Sure. It is really yeah. not. So really, the the therapeutic is what is more so required in this kind of situation. But of course, the dietitian, I would say, even though we may have less dietitians, their role was a bigger role within that day in terms of the therapist and and what their their actual role was and that was their balance of groups we had a variety of different therapists doing groups to because patients like that not just the same person over and over sure. and they could they could do outpatient work as well as part of their their job their hours during the week too where the dietitian was mainly strictly working because they're, they're so much involved with getting the right food in the practice monitoring them at meals because um the monastery at meals is a really significant component. So, so yeah, so I think it, it was a balance in a different kind of way.
0: And that's and I think that's a different challenge for a dietitian, too, who's owning a business of how to work. Like you said, like you you're everything. You have to be the boss. You have to be the bookkeeper. And then you have to also figure out how to work with other type of health professionals.
1: Right, right. And I think that was probably the most challenging part. And you want to work with people. And I, I probably um was more, I would say more easy on people, I wanted them to succeed. Whereas I think other practices may have said, No, you know, you're not right for the practice. We're just cutting our cords now. And uh, I think I look back, and that's maybe somewhere I think I could have been stronger in because sometimes when you don't cut the cord early, it just festers a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, that would be hard. That would be, a, I don't think I'd be very good at that either.
1: <laughs> right. It's, it's a hard thing. It, it really is. And I think that, uh, that's where I sought guidance. And again, it, it's all, it's all part of the, the work of, of being a business owner and which at the time pulled me more so out of the nutrition part.
0: And and that's so true. It's like you are a dietitian by trade, but then you're also that business owner, which kind of trumps it sometimes because it does involve so much more.
1: Right, right. And I think, too, uh, part of the philosophy in terms of the program was harder to impact early on. But then as we grew, the type of therapists we were hiring, they, they really... Got the program, and they were good treatments. The end of the life of my business,
0: and that's that's good that you found those people, right? When you think about your practices, since you had a couple, I mean, I'm sure you've seen so many different patients and so many different varieties of patients. Is there any like certain patients that stick out to you, or any success stories that you are really proud of?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, and I always go back to our first group. And although we had a rolling admission, you, you get that group forming at most stages of, of the uh, treatment. And I look back to some of our very first groups and, you know, probably the first one always sticks out to me. And we had a success story of someone who I remember having screaming matches in the hallway with. And <laughs> she, she eventually, uh, went to India she got her yoga training came back went to school to become a, a psychotherapist and now she's getting ready to finish her internship and really more she, she's like a colleague now and that's to me is a huge success story and even when you hear about patients uh, when they go back to school and and they're writing papers about the recovery as part of a class and and our patients although they were different, Ages, a lot of them centered in the twenty-somethings or early twenties, and it was a good mix. It was, it was, it was good, and I think even that stage of life is just so um, you're able to really work because they're kind of an in-between and and planning their life. So a lot of what you're working with is not just symptom reduction; it's really improving their quality of life.
0: Well, I think that's a huge success story. <laughs> that's amazing. You go from screaming and now she's a colleague. That's right. That's it's awesome.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's a good pat on the back. You're like, yes, I'm doing the right thing at the moment. You didn't think so. But you're like, uh, it all worked out.
1: <laughs> right. And, and it's funny, too, because we have so many rules um, when you come into treatment and and they were based on what we learned along the way. And I remember this particular individual came back to work as a recovery coach first with us, as she was going to school. And she said to the clients, "These rules were because of me." <laughs> so, it was, it was,
0: it was, yeah, it comes back full circle. That's
1: great. It, it does, and it's funny because I remember I um, was—I uh, didn't realize—I thought I was the only one in the building, and. I came in and we were working with some offsite billers. Really, it wasn't working out, and I was literally screaming at them. And all of a sudden, this page, you know former patient who's now a recovery coach comes around the corner, and she just sort of looked at me and she said, oh, "The tables are turned, aren't they?" So it was a funny moment. <laughs> <way. laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very so, interesting. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, w- I also want you to talk about you said that now kind of your journey has led you to just teaching other practitioners about um, about being yoga instructors, uh, especially are you focusing mostly on dietitians? It's dietitians kind of and psychotherapists audience?
1: and actually some yoga teachers who are uh, really involved in the treatment at treatment centers or that, that are really working as a, tr- a treatment team, even outpatient, that are grounded in the re- recovery if they are, uh, if they have struggled in, in the past. And even some of the psychotherapists and dietitians really need to be grounded. But I am working with a therapist, her name is Sandy Nebel, and together from the psychotherapy and the nutrition standpoint, and we're both yoga therapists, we can really offer our attendees a well-rounded program. And it is actually a specialty program through Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. So if you want to go to the full accredited program, or if you want to get your 500 hour yoga therapy uh, training, or, or, I'm sorry, yoga teacher training, our program can offer either one where we're offering 75 units towards a full yoga therapist certification in a, through so our specialty, or our hours can go towards a 500 hour if you're already a 200 hour RYT. And Okay. okay. Right. So we can offer some continuation credits for some therapists and also though for all dietitians in terms of what they need to maintain their either you know, license or registration.
0: And how, long, how have long have you been in this program?
1: program? Actually, from the onset of uh, I want to say when I opened the uh, full blown clinic in 2008. It was that one room schoolhouse, maybe from <laughs> 2004 or yeah, about 2004 through then. And we opened in 2008 when the economy was just, you know, what happened in 2008, you know, what, what it was like in 2008. It was really, what am I doing <laughs> at that point? Um, so, yes, I would say about 2009, we were already training others and developed a full loan program in that towards 2014 and then have been running them since.
0: And do you do one it once a time year, year or do, do you offer, offer, more, offer it more than one once a year?
1: Right now it's once a year and we'll be developing other offshoots of it too as we go along and um, more from an on, uh, on interactive online at some point. So, we're definitely looking, Sandy and I, to branch out into different directions with it.
0: The site, though, in Phoenix sounds absolutely wonderful right now as it's freezing in, oh, right. in your area oh, and well, in my area.
1: Right? the <laughs> best areas of the country, but, but I think, too, it's great for the attendees to get away. And, and they really do a lot of self-development and self-reflection that really helps them working with their patients and I think that's a huge part of it as well that they can step back and really look at themselves
0: and I think that that's an I like that that's a huge component because yeah we can be great for our clients but if we're not great with ourselves it's it's going to reflect in how we treat and and work with our clients
1: right and I think you have to really be able to to go to that edge with your client if you expect your client to do the same and I've heard other therapists say that, but I think in terms of actually doing it, um, I think the program really helps push that therapist towards that ed- edge as well.
0: And how many days is your program on site?
1: It is uh, six full days. It's There's a day to arrive and a day to leave, but it's six full days and it's pretty intensive. And, and there's breaks where we do breakout groups and, they can practice some of the skills on each other. Uh, but we have meals together and and we the last day we had a little bit early and go into town and have dinner together. It's it's really nice in a restaurant or but yeah, it, it's mainly pretty intense in terms of day structure where we start with yoga, we have a break, get ready, take a shower, and then we come back and it's pretty didactic until lunch. And uh we really break it up in terms of how the yoga therapist is involved in the treatment team, the dietitian, the therapist, in all practice settings. So we get people really that are practicing in so many different areas. So it makes it really diverse and unique. And people do learn from each other. And we have some breakout sessions after lunch, reconvene towards dinner, have yoga, debriefing of the day, have dinner, and then pretty much you're wiped out at that point. So.
0: <laughs> I would say so, I, and I I have just done a little bit of yoga. So, do you need to be like a like really really good at yoga to attend this conference, or could you be a newbie, or could you have no experience?
1: Well, well, really, there's no such thing as being good at yoga. Yoga just <laughs> right, and uh, it, really, we, we've had uh, we've had participants come that aren't RYT's are and aren't 200 hour yoga teachers. So and that's OK, because they're really learning more of the philosophy to incorporate in their practice. And maybe they're partnering with a yoga teacher and making it a comprehensive program.
0: Good to know. I always like to know, you know, it's always good what level you're going into. So you're prepared mentally.
1: <laughs> right, And really, in the way I was trained, there's no levels. There's no levels, just like in some treatment centers. There's levels. We don't use levels. We never did use levels. So it's it's more so uh, really learning. And again, the poses are the accessories. They're just accessories. The breath is the most important and really the philosophy around it. Because when you look at the eight limbs of yoga, which is part of yoga teaching, only one limb of the eight limbs is the physical practice. So... Okay. It was really designed for something more than that. And, and of course, it's become very westernized here in this country and more so as, as time goes on. And even where I practice in the studio it was maybe more traditional when I started. Now it's more of a, more of a westernized and, and that's okay, too. I mean, it's different for somebody who goes to practice yoga in a studio versus when you're incorporating it in treatment. In a studio, it's it's a yoga class. And in Mm -hmm. a therapeutic environment, it's more so therapy.
0: Sure. And I, and I think the breath is, a. I would, I would think that would be a very important component. Cause I think about, I did, I did take a traditional yoga class probably about, it was probably 10 years ago where you actually, you know, did wrap yourself up in a blanket Mm -hmm. and you did focus on your breathing at the end and you had tea and you talked about the class and, and now it's completely different. It's you go to a class and it's, you know, people are it's, it's just different. So I can see where that that breathing part is
1: very important. Right, right. And that's why if we're dealing with a severe or anorexic individual, somebody who has severe anorexia nervosa, we're really limiting what they can do on their yoga mat. And they may maybe focusing more on breathing. Or yin yoga, which is really using no muscle and a lot of just long holding forward fold or um, something where they're just really focusing on their breath. And I think that that's where initially treatment providers were questioning, what are they doing? And and it's more so based on where they are physically. And also if somebody was coming in and they had a rough night and their labs were off and They were purging, and we're not even going to let them even in in that room at that moment because they're going to have to sit and and get rehydrated. Uh, So there's really a lot of different dynamics that go into that yoga practice, but ultimately it's to observe them. And as a yoga therapist and even a yoga teacher, we're taught to observe that client on their mat because that body language is really telling us a lot because I want to say the statistic is over 70% of communication is by our body. So we can get a lot of information mm-hmm. by just observing that client on their mat.
0: That's so interesting. I like that that component. I mean, it's just like you think about yes, you're a dietitian, but you have just expanded your ability to relate with your patient so much more through this practice.
1: Right, right. And I think in any profession and in talking to therapists, where therapists tend to get burnt out is they're doing therapy as usual, and until they incorporate other methods within their therapeutic interactions, and and yes, the same thing with dietetics. And I think as our society evolves, we have to really keep up with the changes and really morph our businesses to to what it is needed and also what clients are wanting and expecting as well and somebody nowadays maybe not so much years ago but today i think in any profession there's so many changes that one is one will go through in the career and even what people are experiencing now in terms of the different directions people are going in and that they have
0: very true. Our, our profession is definitely evolving in many different ways, which is exciting, which is exciting. And that's why I think what you do is very exciting and very
1: well. Thank you. And I think also I started a, a LinkedIn group. It's registered dietitian business owners and there's over 5,000 members and you can find us on LinkedIn and it's you no know, charge, of course, to join. And as long as you're a registered dietitian or a student or an intern, and it is interesting to see what people are doing from when I started it or even when I started out in a private practice or years ago to see what a lot of these new dietitians and up and coming dietitians are doing. It's really awesome to, to see. And, and I'm just so proud of what everybody's doing in this profession, Uh whereas maybe years ago was kind of just do the same things yeah. and
0: Yes. Yeah. I bet it is. I bet it is very I know I've been a dietitian for 17 years and just knowing how things have changed in my time is is very awesome. So I think and you and you just creating this program, I think for dietitians and other health professionals is another way for us to keep advancing our career. So thank you for doing something so cool and unique.
1: Thank you. Thank you, but, but it is really interesting to watch others, I have to say, and even becoming more techno and as technology advances, seeing what dietitians are doing, taking advantage of that within creating a new business
0: i i agree every every time I do I talk to a dietitian or I meet someone new I just am always like, "Oh my gosh, you're doing that that's I didn't even think of that, you know, so
1: right, exactly some of the 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 directions I'm seeing dietitians go and I'm thinking, well, who would have thought? Yeah.
0: Right. right. <laughs> well, I will definitely link. Um, I'll, I will go also check out your LinkedIn account. That's really a great thing. I'll put that in the show notes as well as kind of your contact information. So if someone is interested, when is your class? When is the you just released that you're opening your registration for your class?
1: Right. So right now it's early bird registration through the end of March. And then we have standard rates. And as it gets closer, it's later rates. And the training is October 27th through November 3rd. It's a Sunday to a, no, a Saturday to a Saturday, but it's really a Sunday to a Friday actual training. And it's in Tucson, Arizona, which is nice. And we've done different we, we've, we've looked at different places and we're trying to find a home for the retreat here and out West seems to be just the vibe, I think. And and this particular area was willing to work with us and, and really cater to our needs. And I think that it would be a great experience.
0: Tucson is beautiful. So yes, I'll definitely put all that information in the show notes as well. And I am so, I just I would love to talk to you for like two more hours because you're just so interesting. So maybe we'll have to do a podcast after you have your retreat and we can talk more about your actual retreat and learn more about that as well.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: Well, I do have some fun questions for you. (laughs) We always have all these serious questions, but I have some fun ones.
1: What is your favorite food? My favorite food is sushi and chocolate. <laughs> together <Yeah>. or separate? <laughs> yeah, together, I don't know about that. But yeah, I, I, that's really... My daughter and I have a favorite place that we always go to. She, she lives out of town now, but when she was here and when she comes back, it, we have a favorite place.
0: Do you still live in... Do you, do you live in Detroit then, outside of Detroit? Or you said you live... I would-
1: do, I live right outside of Detroit. And and I always joke because I haven't really moved one square mile all my, all my life because my business was literally about a mile away my parents still live about a mile from us so we're we're in the same house as we have been since we got married so my husband and I so I I, I'm still here and
0: that's your spot how long have you been married
1: oh what's I'm sorry what's that how
0: long have you been married oh how long have we been 28 years
1: I'm going on 28 years
0: well that's wonderful you found yeah. your you found your place, and that's okay. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can travel wherever you want to go visit, <laughs> right? I
1: always travel. I always travel.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite beverage?
1: Uh, I like Starbucks. Really, <laughs> just a variety of beverages there. I, I, I either make some at home, or I or I go. And my husband always says, "I, I think you go to Starbucks for just for the experience, not so much for." True, <laughs> and that's what they created. So. It's it's
0: working. It's working. It's drawing
1: you in. Right. Right. What what is your favorite color? My favorite color is purple. And that's more of a kind of a higher vibration color. It's the top of the, you look at chakras, yoga chakras, and it just is a, a good energy, great energy.
0: That's one of my favorites too. So that's good to know. I didn't know that's one of those higher colors. Right. Right. And do you have a favorite scent or smell?
1: Favorite scent or smell? That's a good question. I want to say lavender because it's just more calming. And that's sometimes what I need. <laughs> yeah,
0: We all could probably use a little bit of that in our lives
1: on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. You have some really great questions.
0: <laughs> and then my last one is what brings you joy in life?
1: What brings me joy? I would say my family and my husband actually has a bigger family than I have, but when we all get together, just everyone, that, that really just lights me up because everybody lives kind of all over the place now and it's different. And, and it's, it's just, I would say that it is, is really important to me.
0: Is that family? Did you get to see quite a few of them over the holiday? For
1: Thanksgiving, yes. Yes. And, and also over the, the holiday break, my daughter was in town.
0: Oh, good. But, Did she, and you said she lives in Michigan or she lives?
1: Well, she lives in New York City. So okay. she's um, in, in marketing and and it's a cool job. So
0: so you don't get to see her as much as you like, right?
1: No, but we talk every day. I mean, through text and oh, good. so I feel like I'm connected. It's so different now.
0: Sure, sure. Well, Beverly, thank you so much for our conversation today and I will share all your information and I look forward to staying connected with you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. And you've asked some great questions and it's, it's been really great to interact with you.
0: Wonderful. Well, have a good day and we will talk again
1: soon. You too. Thanks again.
0: Beverly is such an inspiration. With starting not only one, but two private practices, and then honing in on her passions by serving eating disorder patients and families. I admire her for seeing a need in this field because we all know there is a huge one, and then creating a program to help other professionals grow their own passions and use this type of treatment in their own practice. I think she's a great resource. I hope you do check out her actual retreat that's coming up and make sure to find that information in my show notes. Along with my popcorn obsession with sprinkles, I'm continuing my birth month with a daily stroop waffle. Yes, you did hear that correctly. I mean, why not start every day happy with a stroop waffle? That's just my mantra. Anyways, Dalmans has the most sweet, melty, caramel, delicious waffle cookie. On both sides, it just makes me smile every morning when I have my cup of tea or coffee. If you want to learn more, go to dalmansstroopwaffles.com. My website, elizabethrd.com is where you can read my latest weekly wisdom blog post. I share my current adventures that can be crazy, and sometimes they're not, but usually revolve around food, workout music, a different playlist each week, a really delicious or real deal recipe what I love right now, and many other things. You can also purchase my book and can find all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to the things we talked about during all my conversations. I would love to connect with you on social media and can easily be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Elizabeth R D. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.